Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dave and DeGenevic, a new conversation. All right, here we go. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. Dave, I still feel like a zombie. After last night's debate, I watched it in horror. I was embarrassed at times. My anxiety was bubbling up. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then I pulled this CBS poll this morning. 48% of people who watched say Biden won. 41% said Trump won. My internal poll says America lost. And who did we win over, Debbie? Who did we win over? We saw certain polls that said only 3% of likely voters were even waffling back one way or the other. Did this debate win over any of those 3%? I can't imagine. Listen, we've got so much to talk to you about today. Let's jump right into it. It's 9.05. It's time for the launch. Sequence engaged. And here are the three things that Debbie wants you to know. Countdown three. Well, if you watched last night's unpresidential debate in horror, the Utah governor's debate between Democrat Chris Peterson and Republican Spencer Cox felt like a breath of fresh air. Thankfully. Mostly tame, rather informative. It got a little spicy, though, over COVID. I did notice this. Democrat uh, Chris Peterson isn't pleased with the state's response to COVID-19. He questioned the $100 million in spending. Our coronavirus response was careening off track. And in fact, it did careen off track. And Debbie, when we watched this, this is the very problem. It was calm. It was respectful. And everyone turned to the train wreck. Nobody watched it. Everybody was glued to the presidential debate. Spencer Cox acknowledging that, yeah, not everything's perfect when it came to COVID, but we are in a pandemic like we've never seen before. We're going to have Doug Wright, who was the moderator last night. He'll join us at 9.50 with his takes on how both candidates fared. Countdown to... So we'll push aside our very civil discussion about last night's presidential debate at 10.05 and give you a crash course about a seedy underbelly of the Internet. It's called the dark web, brought to light by an FBI dragnet where 120 people were arrested. But that's not the big story we're going to be talking about here. What is the big story? How a deep, secretive place on the Internet called the dark web is keeping drug addicts in Utah hooked. 
U.S. Attorney John Huber calls in live. Dave, he's going to enlighten us on how dealers are setting up super stealthy online stores and users are ordering up illegal drugs delivered to their doorsteps. And if you're scratching your head right now saying, what in the world is the dark web? Do not feel bad. I was Googling it yesterday. I've heard about it, but really diving into what the dark web is, don't worry. We've got an expert joining us. He'll walk us through it. Launch countdown one. And back to last night's debate. I thought about Dave honestly calling in sick today. (laughs) (laughs) We should have. Because I really didn't know what to say to you and to our friends who are listening after last night's unpresidential debate. The question is, is, radical left, will you shut up, man? At one point, Dave, I prayed other nations weren't watching our national embarrassment. The name-calling, bullying, arguing. A just-released CBS News poll finds... 88% of people felt annoyed and pessimistic after seeing that. I think both candidates totally missed the mark on what they came to debate about. What they'll do for my family, my community, my country. I can't help but think that all eyes have got to turn out of Utah and what must become the most important VP debate in memory. One week from now, hosted by the University of Utah. David, I think we may end up casting our votes based on what we hear from the VP candidates next Wednesday about the issues. I want to ask the debate organizers for a clue about the topics because I now feel many will be voting for a presidential candidate because they're going to be looking at that VP really hard. Dave and Janovic. The launch. Commence. Your voice, your vote. The presidential debates. In depth coverage on KSL News Radio. Well, you're waking up this morning after what George Stephanopoulos of ABC News calls the worst presidential debate ever. As somebody who's moderated presidential debates, as someone who's prepared candidates for presidential debates, as someone who's covered presidential debates, that was the worst presidential debate I have ever seen. Mm, Punctuated by moments of interruption, name calling and total disrespect, Dave. No one said it better than Jake Tapper. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck he was mostly blaming president trump but i think there's plenty of blame to go all around to president trump to biden to the moderator we'll have a live interview in a moment about next week's vice president debate in utah last night's debate may have been uh make next week's debate even more important Uh, i wonder how the undecideds feel about last night if you're undecided if you're one of the three percent abc news heard from one of you Bob Hasselwood is an undecided Kansas voter. Here's what he said. I expected that out of Trump. Just knowing the way he operates. Or I've seen him, as we have seen him operate in the last four years. I expected the debate to go that way. I was just hoping that that uh, Biden could do a little better. And, uh, Debbie, I think a lot of us are just trying to wrap our head around what happened. I really think it's important to try to dive in to the articles that find the substance because I'm not finding any substance right now because there was so much emotion between the two candidates. Emotion. It was outright bickering, Dave. You're senator. I'm not going to answer the question Why because, you answer that because question? the you question is, the question is, the radical left is, who is your, up, man? Listen. It was crazy. Uh, 
Trump was bullying Biden. Biden was telling Trump to be quiet, not so nice words. I mean, this is just all stuff that unfolded for an hour and a half, and it made me sick. I, I want to know how the VP debate now next week will play in to people's decisions. Are we going to be basing our decisions now on who the VP candidate is and what they say on a stage next week at the University of Utah? Jason Perry of the Hinckley Institute of Politics on the line with us live right now. Good morning, Jason. I got to tell you, I think a lot of political eyes will be hyper-focused on Kingsbury Hall next Wednesday because of what insanity unfolded last night on national television. Well, I think you are absolutely right. Here's the reality is the country was already watching this VP debate as the primary uh, source of interest because we have these two candidates that people want to get to know. A lot of people in the country are looking to get to know uh, Kamala Harris better and know her as a senator, but as a candidate. So a lot of interest was on the state already. In fact, this was going to be as popular, if not more, than the presidential debates. But what you said is exactly right. It is even more important right now in this debate because this may be the only debate we have in the whole series where people actually talk about issues, plans that we care about. This may be it. Do you have a plan if it starts to get derailed? <laughs> well, yeah, so the, the job of the moderator is just amazingly difficult, as we saw last night as Chris Wallace completely lost it. What's interesting uh, in this one, in this particular debate, is uh, the moderator, moderator will be Susan Page. She's the bureau chief, USA Today. Uh, very, very skilled, not just at being a moderator, but in the news cycles itself as well. And she will prepare ahead of time. But I will tell you right up front, I do not think we're going to have the same kind of approach in this debate that we saw last night. These candidates are very, very different in terms of their style and their approach. I mean, if you look back to Mike Pence, he used, I don't know if you know this, he used to have his own radio talk show. He, he, I think he used to refer to himself as something I think he said like Rush Limbaugh on decaf. I think that's how he described himself. So it's going to be more subdued from him. And, of course, Kamala Harris has a great reputation as a prosecutor, which has nothing to do with just going for the over-style points. It goes down to substance. David, I wanted to look forward instead of keep looking back at last night's debate. I think the topics will be an important um, point of discussion for a lot of people watching this debate. Do we know, have you um, released what the topics will be yet or with the, the talking, um, you know, what the questions will be? I'm, I'm hoping they don't have the questions, but the general topics, Jason. <laughs> So they do not have the questions and they don't have the topics yet. The way that works is the moderator sits down and looks at what the big issues are. Uh, and I, I think the, a lot of them are going to be very similar. Uh, and then as soon as that happens, and I expect that will come over, over the next day or two from uh, Susan Page and from the Commission on Presidential Debates. They'll say these are the general topics. But I can't imagine they're going to change a whole lot, particularly after what came up last night. A lot of good conversation. I still think about the Supreme Court, about COVID response and about the economy. Jason Perry, thank you so much for joining us. A lot of good conversation. That is what I'm hoping for. Fingers crossed. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Your voice, your vote. The presidential debates, in-depth coverage on KSL News Radio. CBS News asked a thousand people who watched the presidential debate. Who won? Forty-eight percent said Biden. Forty-one percent said Trump. Ten percent said it was a tie. I say, Americans lost. Dave, to watch. It was really hard to watch. We have two more presidential debates to get through, unless they cancel them. And uh, by the way, they're totally getting canceled. There's no way those happen again. Uh, but we're going to ask former Republican Representative Mia Love if she feels President Trump lost ground, gained ground in the debate. But one of the most polarizing parts of the entire debate came when the president refused to condemn white supremacy. Worst moments for the president. Interrupting. And then, as you said, Deb, Dave... <laughs> Not emphatically condemning white supremacy, uh, making me feel as though as well that there he sent out an all call last night to supporters to stand watch over voters on Election Day. Yeah. And the white supremacy angle is such an easy win. It's so strange that the president doesn't just swing at that softball. It's easy. I absolutely denounce white supremacy. But I do find it curious that we're just brushing past the president's call to denounce Antifa. Let's bring on former Republican Congresswoman Mia Love. Good morning, Mia. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, People people have used all kinds of adjectives to describe their feelings uh, while watching the debate. What one adjective would you use to describe how you felt? Oh, gosh. Frustrated. I, I mean, just just plainly frustrated. It was um, a crap show. Uh, for lack of a just just making sure we keep it clean. Um, <laughs> people, look, people are, are already angry. They're already tired. They're cooped up. They're frustrated. And I think what most Americans were looking for and, and what I was looking for was a leader that can calmly say, don't worry, we've got this. There are bright times ahead. We can fix the economy. We've done it before. We can do it again. But he came in amped up, so angry. I thought in so many ways rude. I I feel like we're at the bottom of the barrel because I don't think Biden did that great anyway. And one of the questions that you asked is, who do you think um, had more to lose? Going into into that debate, I think Biden had more to lose. And... um, what I fear has actually happened was the president actually ended up losing a little bit more um, in that in that scenario. It, it was just it was just really frustrating and just painful to watch. Mia, the most uh, talked about uh, miss was when President Trump failed to condemn uh, white supremacy. Let's listen to that. I'll give you eight seconds of, of that part of the uh, debate. What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacist and right like me to condemn? White supremacist and right proud boys. Stand back and stand by. Did uh, did President Trump uh, lose support of, of black voters uh, when he just really failed to come out um, strongly against white supremacists? 
I don't, I, you know, I can't, I don't know. I don't know about that. All I can say is that that was, it, it's really easy to say, um, instead of stand back, stand down, to just say, I denounce white supremacy. Absolutely. I denounce white, white supremacy. That's it. That is it. Just be, just period, done, move on to whatever else you want to talk about. And then even go out, you know, you can go after Biden about Antifa. You can go after, if you, but, but you have to be able to lead and say, I denounce white supremacy. Do you do this? Do you denounce the, um, the destructive type of protest? Do you denounce Antifa? That's what leaders, that's what leaders do. They say, okay, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take the lead here and do what's right. Now, what are you going to do? But that didn't happen. I, all I heard, the, the, the strongest words I heard was, okay, what do you want to call them? Stand back and stand down. And I rewinded that several times to see if we missed it, if mm-hmm. somebody was talking over him. But that's not, that's not what happened. And I, and I have to tell you, it's really disappointing because I think I agree wholehearted, wholeheartedly with you, Debbie. I think America lost last night. America lost. Another uh Part of the debate that uh, w- was fairly negative for the president was uh, many viewed it as this call when he called on his supporters to go to the polls on Election Day and and do what? Let me play a little bit of that audio. Will you pledge tonight that you will not declare victory until the election has been independently certified? President Trump, I'm you go urging first. my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully because that's what has to happen. I am urging them to do it. As you know, today there was a big problem. In Philadelphia, they went in to watch. They were called poll watchers, a very safe, very nice thing. They were thrown out. They weren't allowed to watch. You know why? Because bad things happen in Philadelphia, bad things. Mia, what was your reaction when you uh, heard about this call for poll watchers? Okay, well, it's really interesting because we do have poll watchers. Yes. And I think poll watchers, that's what they should be doing. They should go and be able to watch to see. It. They're, they're kind of a check and balance. And there should be that transparency because there's this saying, it's not the voter that counts, it's the person who counts the vote. And so you want to just make sure that, uh, that you have poll watchers and they're not being kicked out. So if that's a problem, state that problem. But I think he was very, he wasn't very clear as to exactly what the problem is and where it is, what the problem is and where it is. And also, again, what I look for leaders and what, I, what people should be doing is saying, this is the problem. These are the areas. And I'm working with the local governments to fix this problem. Um, he also mentioned that there was a bin of votes that were found. Uh, subsequently, I went and looked it up and found that um, there was a art, an article in Washington Post that talked about um, some uh, ballots that were found. And that, that can be concerning. But he came off incredibly angry, saying there's going to be a problem. And you're the president of the United States. What is what is the solution? We're, how are you going to fix it? Right? Say, okay, there's a problem here. This is how you fix it. That's this is what the executive branch does. They enforce the laws that are there. They execute the laws that are written by Congress. You can't just throw a tantrum because it, it just goes beyond us. We 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 don't know what you're talking about. We don't know if you're just angry or if there's an actual problem. So I think that that. The, the part of communicating, um, communicating that issue was a big problem for the president. 
uh, I wasn't as upset with him saying, okay, we need poll watchers to go right, and watch the, the a pro- poll. But, Mia, yeah, there is a process. There's registration. There's a vetting process. People sign up for this. It's not just a mass of voters showing up and watching other people vote. Uh, there is a process to poll watching, and that was oh, not I very clear at all last night. I wholeheartedly night. agree with that. Um, what I am trying to say is that the poll watchers... Really, those who are there to watch polls, those who have gone through the process. I mean, I've yes. gone through many campaigns before. Yes. They have to, they can't be kicked out. They have to be able to sit and watch what's going on. So I'm not talking about the masses going yeah. and, and, you know, certifying yourself or deputizing yourself to be able to go and watch the polls. I mean, that, you know, that, that could be, that could be a major problem. But, um, poll watchers, they're there to do a job. We have to be able to allow them to do that job. We are, we could talk about this for hours and hours, but uh, yeah, in, just an incredible in, conversation, in, Mia. In thirty seconds, was there a shining moment for President Trump that you loved? Oh, that's hard. <laughs> uh, oh man, that's, I know you would have to ask that. You know, let me just say there wasn't a shining moment. I don't think for either um, president. I really don't. Um, I think that there was a lot of going back and forth, um, a lot of mudsling, a lot of really very lack of leadership. I think the best thing that he could have said, um, that he did say, and I wish he would have stuck to that was, you know, I've done more in 47 months than you've done in 47 years. If he would have actually just elaborated on what he's actually done. I mean, criminal justice reform, that's huge. Um, being able to fund HBCUs permanently, that's huge for the black community. A lot of the stuff that we've done in terms of deregulating, those were really big, good, good things. And no, he came in hot, he came in upset, and he just, he fed upon the frustrations and the fears of Americans instead of being a leader and saying, I've got this. We can handle this. We're better than this. Mia. And that's what you, you need. We're so out of time. Thank you so much. Former Representative Mia Love for joining us live. Your voice, your vote. The presidential debates, in-depth coverage on KSL News Radio. Annoyed and pessimistic. That's 88% of people polled who watched the debate say that's how they felt. So we've been asking both political parties this morning, how in the world do they resurrect their candidates after last night's unpresidential debate? Dave, I had to put it in a bubble and try to let it go this morning, but I couldn't. I mean, want to look ahead. How can we do better in the next debates as a nation? Deb, have you ever been in an argument and as soon as it ended, you thought, oh, that was a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we never should have done that. It's exactly how i felt after that debate i thought what what did we accomplish what did we do are we better for it yeah it was kind of i felt 90 minutes of my life i'll never get back you will you will never get it back debbie i won't either Uh, we spoke to former republican representative mia love moments ago about president trump's uh, struggles blunders however you want to describe them interruptions and how he can come back um I also want to look at what Joe Biden said. How does he recover? Because his performance, we focused on President Trump last segment. We're not celebrating that performance, no. are we? No. Uh, his worst moments were peppered throughout the debate. He named called, told the cre- president to be quiet in a way most of us were raised not to shush someone. Uh, he flailed to answer some very important questions. I wanted answers about 
COVID vaccine and how we'll fight the pandemic going forward. I just felt like I didn't get any direct information and answers about his plan, Dave, uh, to lead us in the future if he's elected. Yeah, and we want to reach out uh, to State Representative Patrice Arendt, a longtime Democratic re- representative from Salt Lake City. Uh, uh, representative Arendt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what, what were your thoughts when when you got through the debate? Were you feeling like Debbie and I? Were you worn out, or did you did you see a silver lining? I did have a little bit different impression of what Vice President Biden did and what he accomplished during the debate. But I will say it's not the type of debate that the American voters wanted to see. It came right after a very substantive debate uh, from our candidates for governor of Utah. And it was tough. It was tough to start out listening to the president of the United States interrupt, belittle the moderator, belittle his opponent. It's, It's not the kind of debate I wanted to see. It needed to be respectful. I kept thinking about Zoom, and can you just turn off somebody's, um, mute somebody when they're <laughs> speaking when it's not their turn. I mean, that's it. Just be polite, be civil, speak when it's your turn, and don't interrupt. I think you bring up a good point and something I hope a lot of, I think a lot of Americans hope happens in the future debates, if there are two more debates, and that is that the microphone of the uh, person who's not talking gets muted. Uh, so there aren't so many interruptions because, quite frankly, I, I, I've been in I've been in TV news and around microphones for 30 years. And uh, no matter how hard I tried to listen, I just couldn't hear what the other person was saying. You know, former VP Joe Biden came across at times, though, Patrice, as unpresidential himself. Let's take a listen. Let people know he doesn't you're want to a senator. I'm not going to answer the question. Why because, would you answer that because question? Because the question, question is, the question Supreme is, justice, the radical question, left. Will you who shut is up, your, man? Listen, who is on your list, Joe? There's a great line in Band of Brothers. You salute the rank, not the man. Should we treat the office of the president differently, or does it depend on who occupies uh, that, that office? What do you think? I think both people need to be respectful in any debate, but I can, I can certainly feel the vice president's frustration. He, was, he kept trying to answer questions. Chris Wallace kept trying to ask questions, and they just kept getting talked over and over and over. And, you know, somebody who is Jewish, I was so appalled with what happened last night with the president not condemning white supremacy and actually encouraging it. And it, that, to me, was just one of the, the worst parts of the, the debate and also the discussion of really encouraging voter suppression and belittling Biden and other military members of our military. It was just so hard for me to listen to. I never really got my head wrapped around what Joe Biden's uh, agenda is um, for the pandemic and how he's going to lead us out of COVID-19. Did I miss something there, Patrice? Because I was very disappointed and I was very hyper-focused on that because, oh, frankly, I know the pandemic is... um, it's hurting a lot of Utah families. It's it's uh, created a lot of angst across America. But I didn't feel though as though Vice President, former Vice President Joe Biden had much of a plan that he spent much of the debate uh, belittling what Trump hasn't done. Well, I think in talking about what Trump hasn't done, he, he was contrasting what he would be doing. And I and I agree with you that there was there certainly wasn't time for a, a good substantive conversation, particularly with all the interrupting going on, about what that plan was. And I hope to hear that more specifically in the next debate. I hope to hear it when people are not being interrupted. Mm-hmm. 
We talked to uh, Mia Love and asked her if she felt like President Trump had a shining moment. And she's like, Oof. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Do you feel like uh, Senator Biden had a shining moment? I think there were a few moments when he was talking directly to the American public, encouraging them to vote, talking about earlier when it's not about my family or his family, it's about your family. Um, I think he did have shining moments, but again, he kept getting talked over and interrupted, and that was so difficult. But, you know, it was clear that he he empathized. He cared about the American public. He was trying to speak to them and encourage them and be presidential. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Representative Patrice Arendt. We, uh, we always love talking to you. You're so reasonable, so thoughtful, and uh, I, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, but, Debbie, I think she brings up a, a very, very good point. Uh, when everybody's talking over each other, you can't say anything because it's constantly being interrupted. And this is the thing that drives me craziest. And you just touched on it. I don't even think you know you touched on it, but you did. We have microphones on these guys. You mute it and problem is solved. <laughs> the reason it's not solved is because television producers wanted this. This is exactly what the producers wanted. This is exactly what they got. It's not better for us, but don't think for a second that this problem couldn't immediately be solved by turning off the microphone if it's not their turn. Why in the world is that not being done? Oh, they love the fight. They love the mud. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.